Take your Bibles and open up to the book of Exodus, if you will, please. We're starting a series on Live Generously. Live Generous, and, and uh, it's a three-week series that we're going to be studying and looking at seeing what the Word of God has to say for each one of us. And let's take a look in Exodus chapter 13, if you would, please. Exodus chapter 13. The Bible says that in verse 1, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. Whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Now take a look at verse 12. That thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh out, uh, that cometh of the beast which thou hast, the males shall be the Lord's. Let's go to the Lord in prayer if we could please. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity that's ours to be able to be here, and I pray that you would help us as we look into your word and take Bible principles and we apply them to our lives. And I pray that we would, Father. I ask that the things that you have taught me through studying, listening to others, looking at your word, I pray that I'd be able to um, help others to be able to understand uh, what these Bible principles are so that we can live generously as a church. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that Your word would speak, and I thank you that it does not return void, and I pray that you would give me the strength that I need spiritually and mentally, emotionally, and physically. And I pray that you would meet needs here in the lives of these, your people. I ask you for it, in thy name we pray, amen. God bless you, can be seated. As I said, today we start a three-week series of living generously. You think about living generously in a me-centered world. I mean, we really do live in a me-centered world. All around us, it's about the individual. It's about looking out for self. But I want us to take a look at what it means to be a generous person and how it relates to the life of each individual and how it ought to relate to the life of our church. I believe that if you were to ask most people this morning, if I were to sit down and be able to talk with each one of you and say, uh, ask you the question, are you a generous person? I think most of us would, would uh, like to think that we're generous. I mean, most of us don't want to think of, us, uh, of, of ourselves as being a non-generous person or a stingy person. But do you really know what generosity means? Most people will say that if you're a giving person, that's what generosity is. Well, well, that's close, but it really goes further than that. Generosity goes further than that. According to dictionary.com, generosity is a readiness or liberality in giving. So there's an attitude, and then there's an abundant action. So it's a ready, it's just not to give, but there's a, a readiness or liberality in giving. So we could say it this way. So according to this definition, generosity is one that has 
of readiness and some synonyms for readiness. So one that has an enthusiasm, an eagerness, a willingness to give abundantly, lavishly, richly, which are synonyms for liberality. So let me read it to you again. Generosity is one that has an enthusiasm, an eagerness, a willingness to give abundantly, lavishly, richly. But let's take a moment to think about what does that really mean? What what is that? What does it mean to live a generous lifestyle? Is being generous giving $1,000 to the church? Is that, is that generous? Or how about this? Is, is, how about giving $10,000 to the church? Is that generous? How about if somebody were to give a million dollars to the church? Is that generous? Well, wait a second. Let's take it one step further. What if somebody gave $10 million to the church? And folks, don't you worry. I would know how to spend every penny of it for the work of God. I'm telling you, every penny for the work of God. Is that generous? If generosity is based on that criteria, then it would be logical to say that those who cannot give that kind of money are not generous people. If generosity were to be based upon that criteria, then those who could not give $1,000 and would never be able to give $1,000 are not generous people. Right? I mean, because if we determine that, wow, generosity is, is giving $1,000 or $10,000 or a million or $10 million, well, then I guess we would have to say, then if you're not generous, then you're stingy. You're selfish. You're self-centered. Now all of you who cannot give that kind of money have just turned me off. I can't believe you're so rude. But wait a second, before you turn me off, hold on. Why don't, we, why don't we look at what we should base generosity off of? See, I don't think that we want to really define generosity on the basis of how much someone gives. You don't want to define generosity on the basis of how much someone gives. Then what should we base generosity off of? I think that we ought to look at generosity. We ought to base it off of from God's standpoint. I want you to turn over to Mark chapter 12. What is God's basis for being a generous person? Now, I am, I'm, I am actively trying not to, I am fighting myself not to preach the way that I usually preach. You say, what is that? You know, I, if you're a guest here, I'm very active. I'm usually very loud. I jump around a lot. But you know, when you're talking about money, people are really sensitive. <laughs> and so I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm doing my lion pace. I'm just, whew. okay, preacher, don't get too loud. Uh, okay, you know, just 
trying to let all the energy come out this way, you know? But I want us to see what God says generosity is. I'm going to prove it to you from Scripture, this statement here. In God's economy, and you may want to write this down for introduction. In God's economy, true generosity, in God's economy, true generosity is defined by the proportion of the gift. In God's economy, true generosity is defined by the proportion of the gift compared to the wealth of the individual. In God's economy, true generosity is defined by the proportion of the gift compared to the wealth of the individual, not by the amount given. In God's economy, true generosity is defined by the proportion of the gift compared to the wealth of the individual, not by the amount given. Now, in Mark chapter 12, I'm going to prove it to you from Scripture. Take a look at verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. Man, I want to be like Jesus. Say, what do you mean? Jesus was sitting right where everybody was giving. And he was watching. He saw. There was none of this, you know, incognito stuff. He saw what everybody was giving. You know, it's just tempting as a pastor to just, as the offering plate's going by. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you got to be kidding me. Jesus sat against it. Can you imagine? Some people were like, oh, man. See, I told you I should have brought more money today. Jesus is here. Now look what's going to happen. You know? It says, Jesus was sitting over against the treasury. And behold, and beheld how much the people cast money into the treasury. I bet you that was a really uncomfortable day. Jesus never read that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, I don't think. You know? (laughs) Because he did not care. He was always going after the heart. We are, we are great actors. We are great false faces. Jesus liked to look, see, right through it all. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow. And she threw in two mites, which make a farling. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. That's generosity. In God's economy... True generosity is defined by the proportion of the gift compared to the, compared to the wealth of the individual, not by the amount given. So if you make $100,000 a year, 
$200,000 a year, $300,000 a year. And you were to put in, here's a check, pastor, for $1,000. You weren't really generous. Hmm. Don't get me wrong, we would, we would accept it. <laughs> but that's not generosity according to the word of God. See, this woman was a very generous person. She was extravagant in her generosity. This is what God does. God makes the playing field level for everybody. I'm so glad about that. You know, God made the playing field level for everybody at the cross as well. For salvation, it's the same for everybody. That's the wonderful thing about Christianity. Religion, there are caste systems. There are like, here you have, you got the low, you got the medium, you got the high, you got the elite, then you got the super elite, then you, then you have, you know, those that are the untouchables. You know, that's the way religion works. But with God, the playing field is level in all, in, when I use the word economy, I'm talking about in everything. In God's economy, everything is level. And so the reason that God makes the, level, the playing field level is so that no matter the status of a person's wealth, everybody can be generous. No matter the status of an individual's wealth, everybody in God's economy can be generous. But in order to be generous, we must all understand that generosity started with God. And it started with God when he sent Jesus to be the savior of the world. So if we're going to be a generous people, we must, our generosity must start with, and here's the key to the message, putting God first. If it starts with God, then we must put God first. So putting God first is a must if you are going to be a generous person. And there are some biblical examples of putting God first that enables each of us to live a generous life. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians, if you will, chapter 10. You know, it's very true that we learn from, I I guess I should say it this way. Really, the best way to learn, though we don't always learn this way, the best way to learn is to learn through, through someone else's examples. But there are others of us who have chose not to learn through others' examples. We've gone to the school of hard knocks. Now, let me tell you, I've been to both schools. I've been to the school of following somebody's example, and I've been to the school of hard knocks. And from going to the school of hard knocks, I'll tell you, it's a whole lot more palatable to learn from somebody else's example than to go to the school of hard knocks. So therefore, take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. God says something in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Now, all these things happened unto them for our example, or example. And they are come written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. My first question is, happened unto who? He's talking about the children of Israel, the people in the Old Testament. So, the point is, the purpose of the Old Testament and and the Jewish people is, one of the points is to help us to learn to live by the examples that are given to us from their life, whether they be positive examples or whether they be negative examples. 
We are to learn from their example. And I want us to take a look at three examples this morning, if we could. Number one, God's example of the firstborn. God's example of the firstborn. If we're going to live generously, we're going to learn from God's example of the firstborn. We see in Exodus chapter 13. Turn back to our key text, if you will, please. Exodus chapter 13. In verse 1, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. And whosoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Take a look at verse 12. Thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh, cometh of the beast which thou hast. The male shall be the Lord's, and every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck, and all the firstborn of man, of man among the children shalt thou redeem. In the last three words of verse 2 says, what? What does it say? It is mine. Who's that speaking about? Speaking about God. So the Bible says, according to this verse, the Bible says that the firstborn of man and a beast are the Lord's. Take a look at verse 12. We'll find that it says in verse 12, it says, set apart unto the Lord. And then later on at the end of the verse, and it says, and shall be the Lord's. The point that I'm trying to establish with you this morning is that God has his claim. God has his claim on certain things. That certain things belong to the Lord. You say, well, it all belongs to the Lord. Yes, it does. It all belongs to the Lord. But there are specific things that God has placed, if you will, his finger or his hand upon and says, don't you touch it. It's not yours to have. This is mine. I also want us to see something else from verse 13. God says that if there are certain animals that need to be redeemed, if you don't do this, you are to break the neck of the unredeemed animal. In this, it mentions the donkey. It's because it's an unclean animal. So you're supposed to redeem it. But if you don't, you're to break the neck of, of, of that donkey. Well, the donkey was used and it was very profitable. It was helped to help them plow or help them to get from one place to another. It was, it was a very profitable animal, though it was an unclean animal. And what is being said is that if you don't redeem that donkey, then you're going to lose it anyway. So listen to this principle. First, there are certain things, God uses the principle of the firstborn. He said, there are certain things that I've got my finger on, don't touch. Then he says about the unclean, he says, if it's unclean, it has to be redeemed. If you don't redeem it, it's go you're going to lose it anyway or it's cursed. Okay? So as we look at this, at the first, and try and understand this, we, in order to be a generous people, we must understand that God must be first. And this is how we see this in the firstborn example. So you might want to write this down. The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. In the Old Testament, if you had an animal that was, and, and the animal was considered to be a clean animal, then you were to sacrifice that firstborn. So if you, were, you, had a, you had a farm or whatever and you were raising this animal, it was the first one that was born, it was considered a clean animal, that first animal went to the Lord. 
If your animal was to be considered an unclean animal, then you had to redeem the unclean animal with the sacrifice of a clean animal. So if a donkey, which was an unclean animal, had its firstborn, then a clean animal, like a lamb, had to be sacrificed to be able to redeem that baby donkey. If that lamb was not sacrificed, it had to be killed. God's teaching us a principle here. And this is a very clear example of something else. Not only is God trying to teach us a principle, but he's showing us the gospel. See, so many times when we read the Old Testament, we say, well, that was for the Old, uh, the Old Testament people, and, and you know, we don't, we don't do this anymore. And that, that's, he's showing us a clear example of the gospel right here. You say, what are you talking about? Jesus, who was and is perfect in every way, was sacrificed. He was the clean. He was sacrificed for us, the unclean. The Bible plainly tells us that Jesus was perfect. And it also tells us that what? We are sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And so Jesus came willingly, the clean, and was sacrificed to be able to redeem the unclean. So the clean had to be sacrificed for the unclean. But did you notice about how the gospel works? I'm leading up to something here, so... God did not wait until we cleaned up our lives before he gave us Jesus. The gospel is that God gave us Jesus in order that we would give our lives to him. God didn't want us waiting to see if we got everything straightened out. And then send his son. No, Romans 5, 8 says, But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The point is that God gives Jesus before anyone believes in him. So Jesus is the sacrifice to redeem us. So the example of the first is that the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. In giving the first lamb... To God as a sacrifice, it redeemed the rest. So if that sheep had a lamb, that lamb was sacrificed first. Then if that sheep had more lambs, they didn't have to be sacrificed because the first one redeemed the rest. So the, the, the first blessed the rest. Jesus died for us, so what? The rest could be blessed. Hold on to that. This is what the principles of the Word of God is trying to teach us. But think about what the owner of that, that sheep had to exercise. He had to exercise faith. He did not know if that sheep was going to have any more, any more lambs. There was no way possible. 
And he was to give that first lamb to God in a sacrifice. But God says, I want the first. See, God did not say, I want you to wait till that sheep has 10 10 lambs and then give me one. God said, I want you to give me the first and then I'll bless the rest. Give me the first one and the rest will be blessed. So here it is. Put God first and the rest will be blessed. The principle of God putting, uh, putting God first is seen in the firstborn example. Number two, God's example of the first fruits. God's example of the first fruits. Turn to Exodus chapter 23, if you will, please. And I'm really indebted to um, those who I've read on this and, and, and again, collecting some of my own thoughts and then reading and studying. Because these principles are found all throughout the Word of God. And in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 19, God's example of the first fruits. Exodus 23, 19. The first of the fruit of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not seethe a kid in his mother's milk. Now turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Now remember why was the Old Testament written according to 1 Corinthians 10? For our example, we're, we're, learning, we're learning from the Word of God some examples that God's giving to us. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. So what is he saying? He's saying God's showing us the example of the first of the first fruits. So God is speaking to the fact of giving him what he has his hand on anyway, giving to him first. This is, only, this is the only way that truly generous people live. They start with God. Folks, you can be giving a million dollars a year to to Habitat for Humanity, or to Red Cross, or to whatever organization do you think that is worthy of those kind of funds. But if you don't start with God first in God's economy, you are not a generous person. I'm going to, uh, Jeff, I'd really like to uh, stop the message here just for a second. And uh, I'm going to install, I want to install it for next week because this is going to be a long series, I can see. Uh, I want installed um, little boxes all around the church here that when I make a very good point, I want, amen! (laughs) Because I know that it's going to be very quiet because we're talking about money. (laughs) Thank you. A little bit sheepish in here this morning, folks. Mm. Remember, I'm not trying to step on your toes. I'm aiming for your heart. I'm just teaching you Bible principles. What you do with them, that's your problem. I'm just a messenger boy. Don't get mad at me. Take it up with God. Take it up with God. If it doesn't say it in here, then, then you can take it up with me. If I'm not preaching from this book, then you take it up with me. But if God says it, then...
I want you to think about the farmer. He was to give the first of his first fruits. What if his next crop wasn't as good? What if there was hail? What if there was an abundance of rain where the crop was flooded out? See, it, it, the, the first fruits, they had to go to God as well. But the farmer had to exercise faith. See, it took faith and trust uh, to trust God and to give the first fruits. And we must always understand that God must be first, even if we don't put him first. Listen, God must always be first. But even if we don't put him first, listen to this. God's still first. Even if you don't put God first, he's still first. You're not making him first. Just because you honor him as first doesn't make him any more honorable. God's always first, always going to be first. Doesn't matter whether you make him first or not. I'm just trying to help you. Oh, I'm not supposed to be getting so excited. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just trying to help you to have more fruit that will abound to your account. And we find this principle all throughout Scripture. When you think about Joshua, Joshua was, was a great warrior. He was a great commander. And uh, he was to lead the people of Israel into land that God had promised them. And the first city that they came to was the city of Jericho. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you heard the narrative of uh, Jericho and how uh, they marched around the walls of Jericho. And, and you, you, you might have had a Sunday school teacher that built this little city and all the little kids walked around. They were like, shh. It's really the only time you get the kids quiet, you know. So you had Jericho every week, you know, and you're just shh. You know, you walk around, walk around. And then what happened is they get to shout real loud after some time and the walls come tumbling down. Do you remember that? Well, this is what God told him about that city in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 19. Write it down, if you would, that verse. This is what God said about that city and the spoil of the city, the riches of the city, the valuables of the city. Joshua 6, 19, he says, but, the all, but all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. God told them that the spoil of the city was to all go to himself, all go to the treasury, all go to, for lack of a better term, allow me this liberty, the church, the treasury, okay, the house of the Lord. Why was that? Because of the principle of the first. Since Jericho was the first city, God was to be first. He had his claim upon it. Don't touch it. God is showing that when you give him the first, the rest are blessed. But see, if you remember the story, there was a man who didn't obey God. There was a man by the name of Achan. And he took what God said, don't touch. Well, after that, nobody knew about it except for Achan and maybe his, his wife. Maybe, I don't know. But Achan took that and he hid it in his tent, the Bible says. And now they go to Ai. It was a small city. Jericho, they needed a bunch of men, but the Ai was a small city. And there, they could soundly defeat Ai with maybe three to 5,000 men. No big deal. They can go in there, wipe it out. There's only one problem. Somebody had touched what God said, don't touch. Somebody took what God placed his hand upon. Somebody put their ownership on something that God says, I own that. So Joshua didn't know as commander-in-chief. He said, all right, we'll send uh, these guys out, and that's great. And then they got wiped up. 
I mean, AI came out and gave them a royal spanking. And Joshua's scratching his head. What in the world is going on? Well, it's found out about Achan. See, the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. And these people were soundly defeated because one man, one man took that which belonged to the Lord. I wonder how many believers here this morning, I wonder how many believers today don't give God the first in their finances and then hinder their home like Achan did. You say, well, what happened to Achan? Oh, all his stuff that he really wanted, he was trying to keep all his stuff. Not only his stuff, but his family and his kids. They put him out in the, the, outside the camp and guess what they did? They stoned him. Could you imagine being Achan? He's standing there and the little boy looking at him, what's, what's going on, Daddy? Daddy, help me. You imagine? Why, why, why is God doing this to us, Daddy? God's not doing this to us. I did this to God. I, I wonder, I just wonder how many homes today at Open Bible Baptist Church are being hindered because they, they're touching what God says don't touch. They're keeping what God says don't keep. See, the principle is that you give God the first and the rest will be blessed. I, I wonder how many believers today at Open Bible Baptist Church that are putting their hands on what God says you give to me first. That's mine. That's hindering Open Bible Baptist Church. I just figured I'd throw that out there for us to think about. See, the principle is that you give God first and the rest will be blessed. I want you to show you this principle even earlier in Scripture. Take a look at Genesis chapter 4, if you will, please. Genesis chapter 4. Verses 1 through 5, Genesis chapter 4. God's first. God's example of the firstborn. God's example of the first fruits. Genesis 4, 1 through 5. And Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And again she bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. I remember when, when Dr. Tommy Steele was here. He preached a message. How many of you remember Dr. Tommy Steele? And Dr. Steele preached the message. The devil is raising Cain, but God is able. <laughs> i tell you what, that guy can preach. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought forth the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. And Abel also, he brought an offering of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to, to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. You ever think about why God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain? I think that's a reasonable question to ask. And I think there's a few possibilities that we could look at, but I, I would like to really reveal two possibilities that God, the reason that God rejected Cain's offering. Look at what the Bible says about Cain's offering. It says, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. 
Now remember that statement. Now let's look at what it says about Abel's offering. And Abel, he also brought of the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. Did you notice what it was not said about Cain's offering? Sometimes what the Bible leaves out is just as important as what the Bible says. Did you notice what is not stated? It says that in the process of time he came and he just brought of the fruit of the ground. It does not state the first fruit of the ground. It says that Abel brought the firstlings of his flock, the fat of his flock. And I believe that one of the reasons why God rejected Cain's offering is because he did not, he did not bring the first fruit of his offering. We would say the top quality. I also believe because Cain didn't present it in faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, if you will, just write it down because of time. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, the Bible says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. The point is that you just don't give an offering to God. You, don't, you just don't give God the leftovers. God won't accept that. He wants to be first because he is first. And you and I are to give to God in faith and to give God first. So the principle of putting God first is seen in the firstborn example, is seen in the first fruits example, and then thirdly, God's example of the first tenth. God's example of the first tenth. Turn to Leviticus chapter 27, if you will, please. Leviticus chapter 27. We see the example of the firstborn, the example of the first fruits, and the example of the first tenth. Leviticus chapter 27. Take a look at verse 30, if you will, please. Remember, God's leveled the playing field. He has totally leveled the playing field when it comes to generosity. Every single person underneath the sound of my voice, from the youngest of teenagers that has a job to the oldest of senior saints that's on Social Security, every single one of us can be ready, willing, and overly generous to God. God's leveled the playing field. God's example of the first tenth, Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. There he goes, putting his hand on it again. Don't touch it. It is holy unto the Lord. There is what the Bible calls, for some of you maybe new Christians, or uh, maybe, maybe you've had a church that just doesn't preach on giving. Well, I think that we ought to preach the whole counsel of God. And so we preach on giving. And the Bible talks about a tithe. That is a percentage. Here again, God levels the playing field. It's a percentage of what God has blessed you with. Just like, uh, just like the first of the first fruits was to be given to God as a tithe, it is an example for us to learn from and to live by. You say, well, what is the tithe? The tithe is a tenth. Why a tenth? Because that's what God said. It's a percentage. You know, I'm so glad that God did not say everybody has to give X amount of dollars. I am glad about that. I know you ought to be glad about that too. Because as you get older, guess what? Your income changes, right? For most people, it changes. So I'm glad that God said you don't have to give X amount. He says, but you 
are to give this percent. And so God sets a percentage so that everyone can live by the principle of putting God first. You know, it's just like, just like the farmer and just like the, the herdsman. They had to have faith. It takes faith for us to give the first 10%. It does. It takes faith. It takes faith for us to give the first 10% of what we make and then pay the bills. You notice I, 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 you notice I said what we make not what we bring home. If we do it off what we bring home, that's not the first of the first fruits. You say, why is that? Because a guy by the name of Uncle Sam has already tried to take the first of the first fruits. So we, we give off of what we make If we base our tithe off of what we bring home, we are not putting God first. It's not taxes first, then tithe. It's tithe first, then taxes. You say, well, pastor, they already get it before I get it. Yes, but it's the principle. It's tithe, then taxes. See, I want you to notice that the same language that was used with the firstborn is mine, shall be the Lord's. And when the Bible talks about the the tithe, it says, it's the Lord's. Don't touch it. Some people will say, who don't understand the word of God, they'll say, well, well, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. And and tithing is under the law, so I don't tithe. Okay. Let's, Let's go with your reasoning for a few moments. Number one, tithing was before the law. How do you know that? Abraham tithed to Melchizedek four to five hundred years before the law was ever instituted. That's a pretty long time. Before the law, they gave 10% before the law. Then there is Cain and Abel that were before the law. And the principle of giving to God first, I just explained to you. You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden if you would like, and you can see the principle of God being first. God said to Adam and Eve that they could eat of every tree in the garden except for one. It's mine. I've got my claim on it. I've touched it. Don't you touch it. You know what I kind of find out about this principle? Every time I touch something that God says that's his, it always ends up bad. Because if you remember with me, they touched the tree that he said don't touch. And it plunged everyone into sin. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I just get tired of fighting my flesh and sin. I just want to be rid of it. I want to live right before God. I just want to enjoy my relationship with God. I just want to have a loving relationship with Him. I don't want to have wrong thoughts, wrong motives, wrong actions, all those type of things. I just want to be rid, rid as Paul says, of this body of death. I want to be done and over with. Amen. But because they touched what God said is mine... All of us have been thrown underneath the curse of sin. See, what was he doing? He was putting stewardship in the lives of our first parents. God was saying to them, this is the way that you are to steward something. You are to understand that part of it is mine. 
Not only was tithing before the law, but tithing was after the law. Write this down. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of mint and anison and cumin and have omitted the weighty matters of the law and judgment, mercy and faith. These ye have ought to have done and not to leave the other undone. So, so far, I've given you five reasons about, okay, you say I'm under the law, I don't have to tithe. Number six, just because something is under the law doesn't mean that there is not principles that we should live by. The last time I checked, thou shalt not murder is under the law. Should we just throw that one out? Oh, I'm under grace, I'm not going to live by that. You would say, that's, that's nuts. How about, how about, well, um, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I, I'm under grace, and I, I'm not going to worry about that one now. I think your husband or wife would have something to say about that. Oh, but wait a second now. That's under the law. So I don't have to live by that. Aren't there principles? How about thou shalt not steal? That's under the law, and I, I'm under grace now. So um, I'm just looking forward to seeing... That person who leaves their keys to their BMW, huh? since I'm under grace, I, I'm going to take that. You're going to see the pastor driving a BMW now. You say, uh-uh, no. <laughs> see, if you want to use the argument of, well, I live under grace, and listen to what Jesus has to say about that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 20 through 22. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have, heard it, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of counsel. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Verses 27 and 28 of that same chapter. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. You say, well, pastor, what does that have to do with anything? Jesus is saying that the righteousness of grace always exceeds the righteousness of the law. Hello? The righteousness of grace always exceeds the righteousness of the law. So I'll put it to you this way. Grace always goes further than the law. So if you say that you are under grace and not under law, then according to what we've just read and according to what I've just explained to you, you should be giving much more than 10%. Amen. There's that little box again. See, the law states that you only have to give 10%. Grace and the application of grace in your life uh, then would have 10% just as your starting point. You should be much further along than that. I'm not saying that we should go back and live underneath the law, not at all. Because the tithe was before and after the law. My point is that this argument does not hold up underneath Bible application. Usually people who say that are not generous people. They don't start with God first. They're looking for a way out. See, the point that I want to get across to you this morning is that the first 10% belongs to God. It is, it is God first, not the electric bill.
It's God first, not the internet bill. It's God first, not the cell phone bill. And by the way, we can live without the internet. <gasps> we can live without TV. <gasps> oh, you can get a prepaid phone and you don't have to have all that smart stuff. You can have a dumb phone. <gasps> it's the big one. <laughs> See, it's God first and not the mortgage. It's God first, not the water bill. It's God first, not the food bill. See, this morning, you got a choice to live with 10%, 90% of your income and the rest be blessed or to live with 100% of your income and it all be cursed. Remember, the first 10%, the first belongs to God, the rest is redeemed. You say, why should we do this? Well, think about it. The electric company doesn't have power to bless your income, but God does. The gas company doesn't have power to bless your income, but God does. The mortgage company cannot bless your income. Your landlord cannot bless your income. Only God can bless your income. And my friends, if he can make it so that the shoes and the clothes of the children of Israel were not worn out for 40 years, he can make it so that your food can go a little bit further and, and the heat will work a little bit longer and the car will last just a little bit further and the tires won't wear out just as much. You say, God can do that? Will he do that? I don't know how he'll work in your life. But if you put God first, let me tell you something. The rest will be blessed. So we can break it down in the simplest form. If I give God 10% of my income, I'm blessed. If I choose to give, if I choose not to give what is rightfully God's, then I'm cursed. We just broke it down for you. There you go. There's the message. You say, man, you could have saved me 50 minutes. <laughs> but it doesn't really take much thought. Say, do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be cursed? When the Bible talks about tithing, friends, it doesn't talk about it in terms of giving the tithe. You're not giving the tithe. Listen to this. This is key. The Bible talks the tithe as the tithe in bringing. You don't give the tithe. You say, yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. How do you know that? Well, the Bible says you bring it. Well, what do you mean? Because you don't own the tithe anyway. You can't give something that you don't own. That's why the Bible says you bring the tithe. Remember, God has his hand on it. You don't touch what is God's. You can't give something that's God's. You didn't give Jesus. He gave it. You just accepted it. You don't give Jesus to other people. You bring other people to Jesus, just like you do with the tithe. You bring the tithe to the Lord. Malachi 3.10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Bring ye all the tithes in the storehouse. And I want you to notice in closing what God says about the tithes. He says in this verse to prove him. We would say to test him. You know what I find interesting? If you go throughout all scripture, and I believe this is true. I could be mistaken. But I believe that this is the only time in all of scripture that God ever says, prove me or test me. He says, test me with the tithe. 
So what is the Bible speaking to us as a church? Put God first in our giving. That's where generous, generosity starts. Giving God the tithe, giving God the first. I have a challenge for two groups of people, those first who are not tithing today. My challenge is for you. Say, what is it? I want you to tithe for one year. From today, I want you to tithe from, for one year. I dare you, I dare you to take God at his word. I dare you to test God. You say, how can you say that and be so confident? I'm not the one that has to provide for you. God does. Now, I'm not saying you gotta sit, you're going to be sitting there all day long on QVC running up your bill and then, well, God, I'm tithing and now I got an $80,000 QVC bill you got to pay. Uh-uh. No, no, no. We're talking about financial responsibility as well here. But go ahead and test God. Prove him. He says, bring the tithe into the storehouse. By the way, that's not a mission board. Amen. That's not a specific missionary. Amen. It's not a Christian school. Amen. It's not a Christian university. Amen. It's not a televangelist. Amen. The storehouse is the local church that you attend. And since you attend here, this is where it belongs. Amen. So first challenge, those who aren't tithing, and there are people in here that are not tithing, maybe because you're a new Christian, maybe you've never heard it before, maybe you just struggle with that. I want you to test God for a year. Test him. That's what the Bible says in Malachi 3.10. Write it down and read it when you get home. For the second group who are currently tithing, I'd like to challenge you to increase your tithe for one year. See what, God, see what God will do in your life. See if God will meet your needs. Why don't you just prove him? See, I believe that if we even give more than what's required, that God will bless us. So the question this morning is, what's God speaking to you through this message? See, for some of you who have struggled with this, it's an opportunity to start fresh. That's wonderful about the grace of God. You can start fresh. This is the opportunity to put God first in your life. It's a new year with a new opportunity for you to do what is right by God. But see, it's, it's more, you say, well, it's just about supporting an organization, just about supporting church. It's more than about just supporting the church. It's about putting God first in your life. So the question is, will you put him first? Two challenges. Those who are not tithing, test God for a year. Those who are tithing, will you increase what you're doing for a year and see if God blesses you? Why do we put God first? Because he is first. God is the author of generosity when he gave his son to die on the cross for us. I shared with you the gospel in the beginning of this pretty lengthy message. But I shared with you the gospel. The first thing, if you don't know Christ, your personal savior, that you need to give is not your money because you can give 100% to God. And if you don't know Jesus, your personal savior, my friend, you could give all your paycheck for the rest of your life. You would die and go to hell. See, this is not about money. 
The first thing you need to give is your life to Christ. This morning, if you don't know him, you can come to know him. And you can start to put him first in your life. Would you take God at his word? Would you take him at his word that he is the savior of the world? Would you take him at his word that he will supply your needs?